Today on the Darren Batchelder Multifamily Real Estate Investing Show, we explore networking as a crucial element for success in real estate investing. Our guest, Mike Morawski, underscores the necessity for constant networking, enthusiastically sharing your journey and inviting others to join you. No matter your level of expertise or your current investment portfolio, different types of investors may be drawn to your unique journey. Don't mistake this episode just about networking. Mike delivers a resounding message about resilience and a life beyond past limitations. He candidly talks about his journey from a prison cell in 2013 to rebuilding a successful real estate business, illustrating the power of perseverance in a positive outlook. But before we get started, if you're a high net worth individual looking to preserve your capital and build your wealth responsibly by passively investing in multifamily real estate, and you'd like my help, visit darrenbatchelder.com forward slash investor call and schedule your discovery call today. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Mike Morawski. Mike, appreciate you coming on the show. Darren, good to be here. Really, it's been a long time. I, I watch you and I always said I want to get on that guy's show. Well, so. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be fantastic. So um, just a little bit on how we know each other. Um, Mike and I have not actually spoken before, but but I know of him through his podcast and his world being in the multifamily world. And he's in coaching and he's written a book and he's doing deals. And so uh, with that, I want to to uh, bring him on and have him share his story, you know, hopefully help motivate other people to, to get in the game. Um, so with that, can you, you know, first share like how many properties, how many units you're in, and then maybe give us a little background on, you know, um, yourself and how you got into the space. Yeah, sure. So um, this is my second time around. Um, I had a portfolio of 4,000 units and manage uh, at a property management company managing 7,500 units. That was before the 2008 economic crash, before the world went to, you know, uh, hell in a handbasket. It was right? a tough time for a that? lot of people, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is my second time around. So, so right now uh, we have about 100 units under management and another 300, 277 that we're getting ready to close here sometime in July. So when you say it's your second time around, what does that mean? Well, I, you know, I've been in real estate for 30 years and I, I started out as a, as a residential agent, went into business. I, you know, my first nine months in the residential business, I sold 78 houses. Cow. I was, yeah, I was Remax rookie of the year. I'm a, I'm a little bit of an overachiever, you know? <laughs> so, uh, uh, I built a team. We sold about 125 listings a year. And in 2005, I saw the market starting to slow down. 
And I wasn't really sure what was going to happen, but I knew that there was going to be a change in the marketplace. And I said, well, I probably should go do something else. And I'd always wanted to be in the apartment business. You know, I watched a couple of big syndicators, you know, if you know Sam Zell, I, I really, you know, idolized what he had built as a syndication company. I've never met him and it really bugged me recently when, when he yeah. passed. I mean, he was just such yeah. a leader in the space. I saw him a couple of times at, uh, he was a big Harley guy. Right. And you um, liked ride? I was at a couple, yeah. So I was at a couple of events uh, years back and, and he'd be hanging out and that, you know, you just couldn't get close to the guy though. You know, that he was always with a bunch of people, but, uh, it, yeah, it bothered me when he died too. I kind of, um, you know, had, uh, you, you know, he was like somebody I aspired to be right. like, right? Not, not so much the grave, grave digger piece of him, but, but what he had created and what he built. For some reason, he, he had a presence about him that was less corporate. And I think it makes yeah. him more like, even though I didn't know him, you feel like you're more connected to him that versus you know, a suit. You know, it, I, I think my first experience hearing about him was um, him uh, owning all these mobile home parks and people being mad at him because he wasn't, you know, taking care of things or he was raising rent on lots and things like that. And you know what? It, when you stand back and you're not in the business, it looks like you are not doing it right. But when you are in the business and you look at it, you go, well, the guy was doing it right. You know, so people always have something bad to say about somebody else. That's how he looks. So you were going through the 30 year uh, run in real estate, but it was still, you mentioned second time around. So how, yeah. you know, what is that? How did you get to the second time? So, so I built, so I, I went into the multi or into the apartment business in 2005, okay. saw the market starting to ship, wanted to be in that business. So I went out and I syndicated my first uh, apartment deal. And I said, wow, I, I'm going to go after this. And, and I didn't know anything about it at that point, Darren. I knew you found a great real estate deal. You married it with some private equity. You stayed in the middle. And as long as everything went well, everybody made money. Well, over the next 30 months, uh, I, I raised $18 million. I bought 4,000 apartments in five markets, was about $60 million worth of real estate. And I vertically integrated a property management company at the same time, managing 7,500 doors. Wow. So I grew a, a company pretty close to $100 million in value. And 2008 rolled around and it was like hitting a brick wall in a freight train at 200 miles an hour. We started to unravel. And I always tell people, I say, listen, I, I made five mistakes. And the first couple of mistakes I made, the first one was I grew too fast as a company. This is a marathon, this business, take your time. Um, the second mistake I made, I was over leveraged. So I owned $60 million worth of real estate at 85% loan to value. Wow. I don't know who was worse, me for taking the money or the banks for giving it to me. But I know that people today shouldn't be but 65% loan to value in a deal. And then the third mistake uh, that I made was I um, was undercapitalized. I didn't have enough money to grow the company I was growing at the rate I was growing it at. 
So uh, those three things led us to start to unravel. And I thought, you know, at the time I thought, man, this is just a recession. It's going to last 17 or 18 months. There'll be a 10 or 12% correction in the market. I've seen that. I've experienced that a couple of times in the past. We'll ride through this thing. And you know, as well as I do, 2008 lasted seven or eight years with a 45% correction in the market. It's hard to weather that storm. So I, I decide, well, I think that if I take money from profitable companies and put, them in my, put that capital in my non-profitable companies, I can keep the whole ship afloat till this re- recession's over, and then I can put the money back. And my accountant and my attorney both said, it's okay to do that, just leave a paper trail. And when the markets pop back, put the money back. Well, markets never pop back. And, and I didn't tell my investors that I was moving money back and forth. So for non-disclosure, I wound up getting charged on wire fraud and mail fraud charges and got sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. You, were, you, went, you got sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. Yeah, for, for uh, not, non-disclosure. You wow. know, and what I want people to understand, too, is we're in a very transparent business. You have to tell your investors everything, everything you're doing. Because if you're not, um, it's that easy to make a mistake. And, you know, we're, we're going into an environment right now where it, it's easier to make a mistake. You know, when the market's hot and the markets are growing, you know, guys that don't know how to do the business um, tend to not make any mistakes. They tend to grow, right? And, and the now, investors, when they're making money, they have no, you know, no concerns. Right. Right, right. Nobody to yell at. Now, is this a good time to invest? Absolutely. Why is it a good time but, to invest now? Well, you know, I think when the market cycles like this, we do a, we, the, the world, well, the U.S. for sure will do a redistribution of wealth. And so uh, people who have the ability to get into any apartment deals or any type of real estate right now before the next bull run, and get pushed up the mountain by the next bull run are going to do very well. So, so people are, I mean, I, I'm sure you see it. I talk to a lot of syndicators and they see it is that, you know, people, a lot of people are on the sidelines, you know, transactions are down like 80% over last year. Um, people are scared. And, you know, so I, I think there's certain people that two things, one investors like certainty, and so they are kind of waiting. Some of them are waiting on the sidelines to see the kind of the dust settle. Like, are are we at the bottom or are we not at the bottom? And then you've got syndicators that, you know, if they if they have liquidity, they're licking their chops, thinking that there's going to be all these bridge loans that are going to come with these amazing deals. So, talk about those two areas. What's your your take on those? So the first thing I heard you say was timing, right? Is this the bottom? I've been doing this 30 years and, and I can't time the market. I don't know. I just don't think you can time the market. I've made money when the markets have been high and I've made money when the markets have been low. And it doesn't matter if there's a Democrat in office or a Republican, you can make money. It's about the deal itself. So if you go into a strong market, where the market fundamentals are growing and are, 
are strong as we come out of this recession. And you have a deal that the fundamentals in the deal itself make sense. And a good operator that's operating that deal through the tough time, you're going to do well. That's where your certainty lies. Your certainty is going to lie in the fundamentals of the deal and the ability for the operator to operate that deal. The other thing that I would, I would tell listeners and get your take on whether you agree with this or not is, Look, I'm in a lot of deals. I'm a, I got into deals the last two years. You know, nobody knew that Fed was going to raise rates that fast. So whether it's a floating rate loan, not debt service is higher, or um, it's, even if it's a fixed rate loan, if you're going to sell the property, the new buyer is going to have higher debt service buying that deal. So both of those scenarios impact, you know, where you can trade at. Um but today, in today's environment, like everybody knows, like the buyer knows, the seller knows, the brokers know, the investors know that interest rates are higher. So if you can find a deal that works, that, you know, that the, works in today's environment with today's cost structure, then to your point, you shouldn't be afraid. It's, it's a, a great time. So here, let me ask you this. I'm buying a deal right now, 277 units. Um, it's, a, it's a five property portfolio. We're assuming five Freddie small balance loans at 3.6% interest. Does that alone make it a good deal? That alone, no. I mean, the, the, it helps that you have that debt service, but you don't. You have to run the rest of the numbers to see yep. if it makes sense, right? Yeah. So, you know, zero rent growth, low, uh, low cost of entry. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of factors. We're, we're in Tulsa. Tulsa is one of the, is a, a warm market right now. I believe that um, as soon as all the smart money figures it out, that Tulsa is going to boom. I believe in two years we'll be at the top of the map. You know, this year, Freddie's got Tulsa as number three pick for multifamily purchases in 2023. So on Freddie's top 10 list, Tulsa's number three. Why, why is that? Because, uh, okay, so it's, I think some of the fundamentals are like this. You got population growth. So for the last seven years, we've got a half a percent of population growth per year. Now, all of a sudden it jumped to 0.75, right? And it's, it's projected to continue to grow. So one of the things Tulsa did last year was they offered tech workers $10,000 to move to the city to, to work from home. And they ran out of money nine months into a 12-month program, and 1,500 people still moved to Tulsa. So Tulsa's poised to be the next tech hub of the Midwest. Mm. They have, they have um, aerodynamics, they have medical, they have education, uh, they're doing a billion dollars in in infrastructure in the uh, marketplace right now. They have, uh, you know, one of the new manufacturers coming to town is Canoe. Canoe's a, a new uh, electric car manufacturer. They're building their corporate headquarters in Tulsa. You've got Amazon that just built a third distribution center in Tulsa. You've got Google that just um, bought space in Tulsa. You've got um, transportation. 
So as this job growth happens, you have population growth and the household income goes up. The average household income in Tulsa is 72,000 now. A lot higher than I would have thought. Yep, it was a lot higher than I thought too, because he, you know, here's how I found this deal, right? I underwrote a billion dollars in transactions between June and January last year. My underwriter was like, we're never gonna find a deal. I said, we'll find a deal, keep turning rocks over. And so um, we, we wrote like 10 LOIs, up, got to the, to the best, uh, to the final round seven times, three times to the final, final round to walk away from deals for like 300,000 because they didn't make sense. And that was between Tampa and Dallas in that stretch on the South. All of a sudden we get a phone call from a broker one day says, hey, I got a pocket listing. I said, okay, Tulsa. Ah, I don't know Tulsa. What's, what's happening in Tulsa? He goes, look, go do your research on the market and um, you know, I'll hold this for you for 24 hours. So we dug in, started looking at the market and I was super impressed with the, with the market fundamentals. Cause I'm a market, I'm a market buyer before I'm a deal right. buyer. You know, you could bring me a great deal in Chicago and I wouldn't buy it. I, I, I'm with, yeah, you know, most people say, you know, that I've talked to buy, you know, focus on the, on the jockey. Um, I want to be in markets that make sense where there's population growth and income growth. Um, and then I want to focus on the people and then the deal. Um, but so, Hey, in our world, you know, being a syndicator, you know, a lot depends on relationships, building trust, no like and trust, um, transparency, you know, so having, you know, a past where you've gone to prison for, you know, uh, you know, for, for non-disclosure, how do you build that trust with, with new investors? Yeah, so it's been a process. Uh, this is a great question. So, so in 2013, I, I go to prison. I lose everything, right? My company, everything. I'm in prison about three weeks, and my wife decides she's going to divorce me. And it absolutely wrecked, crushed me. Um, I, I walked around every day wondering how I was going to get through today, much less 10 years of this. And, um, you know, one day I walk into the gym and, and Darren, what I always tell people is I never flew private. I didn't have a boat. I didn't have a big house. I didn't have a fancy car. I was the neighborhood baseball coach. I was home every night for dinner. And, you know, I got ripped from that to live in a 12 by 12 room with three men. I didn't know, nor did I like wondering what happened in my life. And I, I walked around every day you know, like, how am I going to do this? And um, I walk into gym one day, I'm about six weeks in, my wife's divorcing me, I'm losing everything. What the feds didn't take, she's taken. And I know I'm going to go home to nothing. And so I walk into gym one day and, and I had gone from running marathons to being 35 pounds overweight. I hated myself. I, I actually think at some level I wanted to die, but I was afraid to afraid to do it. And this guy walks up to me in the gym one day and he goes, Hey, don't let these people beat you. All they want to do is take from you everything you've ever known. 
They can take your business. They can take your money. They can destroy your family. But what they can't take is who you are and what you're made of. They can't take the, the knowledge that you have and the ability to um, go back and build a business. He goes, you can get it all back. He goes, come to my class every day, start working out. You'll start losing weight. You'll start to feel better. I said, and I don't know what happened that day, but the switch flipped. And, and I believe there, and we all have defining moments that show up in our Absolutely. life. We can either choose to act on them or not. And the, the switch flipped. And I said, okay. Don't ask me why I said, okay. But I started going to his class. I started working out. I started to lose weight. I started to feel better. You know, I wound up writing two books. I wrote a book called Exit Plan, Your Complete Guide to Multifamily Investing and Why You Need an Exit Plan. Um, I, you know, love to give a copy away at the end of the show to your listeners. Um, I, I wrote a book on property management, which will be coming out next quarter. And I wrote an ethics course. I taught real estate investing, property management, and ethics in prison for six years. How ironic, right? Teaching right. ethics, a federal inmate teaching ethics in prison, right? right? Exactly. I, I went to college. I got a bachelor's degree in theology. I was on an outreach program, went into the community. I told my story 40 times to local business owners and college students. I wound up meeting a professor from the University of Minnesota, and he and I co-authored a paper together that we have published in the Business Journal of Ethics that gets taught at the collegiate level for forensic accounting and sales and marketing classes. Um, I thought I was going to come home and go into coaching and training business. And so I built a business plan the last couple of years I was in prison. I said, this is what I'm going to come home and do. I come home in 2020, the week they closed the world down for the pandemic. And, um, you know, it took me about six months to get my arms around being home again and life and you know, getting on my feet again. And I start this coaching and training business thinking I'm going to just teach people how to do multifamily. Well, I was on a podcast uh, probably a year and a half in. Um, I was on uh, actually Abel Pacheco's meetup, afternoon meetup. And um, probably 150 people on there. I'm telling my story. And some guy goes, hey, are you raising money yet? I said, no, I don't think I'll ever raise money again. He goes, why? He said, why would I invest with anybody other than you? He said, you have already made the mistakes. And when the market shifts, you know how to mitigate that, that change in the market. He goes, why should I invest with somebody other than someone like you? And it, it, again, defining moment, right? Snap. So I had been underwriting deals at that time because I knew that I was going to have to teach people how to do right. it. And that's one of my, you know, that's one of my superpowers or whatever you want to call it. I underwriting deals and I found this deal in Florida and I go to a couple of my coaching clients and I said, Hey, I think we should do this. So we start walking down the road, having conversations with the securities attorney and the securities attorney says, Hey, I think I can get you approved by the SEC. I, you know, I never thought that it would happen. So she goes away. Three months later, comes back, goes, hey, look what I have. She's got a written approval from the SEC that says I can go back and raise capital, be an issuer of securities and do, you know, syndication deals. So it's kind of funny. It's like my whole life just kind of transpired, right? I'm a different guy than I was when I went to prison. 
And, you know, today my message is, you know, not to, I don't want people to feel like they need to be trapped by their past. I want to set an example for people and, and move forward. And it's not easy because if any of this business was easy, everybody would be right. doing it, right? Um, it's just as hard and maybe a little harder for me with my scars, my wounds. But you know what? I have a merit badge that you don't have. And not that you want it, but what it does is it gives, you know, it, I, I think there's a lot of people in my life right now and a lot of my investors are like confident in my ability today. Um, so, you know, for that, I'm, I'm ever be grateful for that. Absolutely. So. I mean, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is, is somebody could be thinking like, you know, look, because what you, what you went through and it would have been easy to go down the path of woe is me, you know? Um, so to pull yourself out and, you know, thankfully, you know, that you had some people that gave you these defining moments, um, but you had to take action is, is that, you know, you could have some other people that are like, man, if he can do it, like, I don't, I don't have to go that far. You know, like my, my challenge is hard. I know it's hard, but it's not as hard as what he went through. Yeah. And there's naysayers out there that say, oh, you're going to fail. You can't do it. And, you know, I, I have a really good friend who's in the business and, and so deep in the business. I mean, they, they've done a hundred thousand units in the last, you know, five, six years. Um, and he, he always jokes with me and I don't think he's joking, but he says that I'll be the Michael Milken, a multifamily. Mm. Um, and if anybody knows who Michael Milken was, he was the junk bond guy back in the eighties that came home, you know, went to prison for a number of years, came home and, and proved to everybody that you can't let your past define your future. That's right. I mean, look, some, some people make that, make a mistake and then they let that define them. Right. So, right. You know, I, I applaud you for, for, you know, getting up. It's like that uh, saying you can't, you can't outsource doing pushups. Right. You, you know, right. so you had to get up and figure out how to get back in the game and you had some support. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, where you are spiritually, but like the man upstairs, you know, definitely, um, prodded you to the right people at the right time, you know? Well, here's where I'm at spiritually. I would have never gotten through any of it, nor do I get through any of my days without having a personal relationship with Jesus. And, you know, for me, that's, you know, that's what's got me through. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's huge. It's like, you know, with God, anything's possible. Right. And so, so anyway, that that's, that's a fantastic story. And, and, um, you know, I, I hope and wish you much success as, as this goes on. So thank you. What kind of, um, you, you talked about the, the three mistakes, you know, what other like learning lessons and, you know, you, you do coaching to talk about your coaching and how you, you know, mentor people that are looking to get into the business. Yeah. Okay. So let me address both of those. Okay. Cause, um, you know, I think the mistakes are really important for people to understand. You don't have to grow too fast. Take your time. This business is going to be here. You're not going anywhere. 
build systematically, be smart about your acquisitions, especially today, and be really diligent about stabilization. That was the problem. In, in 2007, I bought 2,200 units and thought I had a team that was doing the stabilizing and the construction and, and nobody was doing anything. And that was part of the problem. Um, don't over leverage yourself. Make sure that you know you got enough equity in deals and um, that you, you raise enough capital to do the CapEx and everything else that needs to be done. Um, make sure that you are not undercapitalized. Go, you know, if you have to go borrow a little bit of money, borrow a little bit of money, run your company like you should. Um, the, the fourth mistake that I made was I didn't pay attention to the details. So I was so busy. I'm a visionary. I was so busy focused on building the business. I thought that the, the cure for the problem was go do another deal and bring more capital in. And that would help straighten it out. But it was just putting a Band-Aid on a, on a wound that needed a tourniquet. And so um, I, I think people need to really pay attention to the details. You know, the, those KPIs, key, key performance indicators when we're asset managing a deal are really important. Make sure that you're checking those every week, every quarter, you know, twice a year. How, whatever KPI needs to be looked at. And then the fifth thing was I didn't listen to people around. And, you know, I have a quick story. Um, 2008, I was um, in a closing in Cincinnati and it was the biggest closing to date we were doing. It was a couple hundred units. And I'm waiting for my office to wire money, waiting for my office, waiting for my office. Finally, at the end of the day, 10 to 5, and I've been there since like 11 o'clock in the morning. I get my partner on the phone. And he says, I don't know how to tell you this. And I'm like, tell me what, you know? And he says, I moved money from the escrow account to the operating account. I said, you what? And um, I said, we had this conversation when we started this business. You never, that's one thing you absolutely never do, hands down. Well, this was the first of the fall, right? The beginning of the fall. So I said, uh, uh, let me dry close this deal, which just means we signed all the paperwork. I told the title company and the seller, I'll have it funded by Tuesday. This was a Wednesday. I went home and over the weekend, I, I sold off his equity in that deal and raised the money to uh, close the deal. So I got that deal closed, but um, you know, my partner and I were never the same after that. And, um, uh, uh, that was on Wednesday on Friday night that week, my wife and I, and him and his wife go out to dinner. We had this event we needed to go to and we went to dinner and on the way home, my wife said to me, Hey, I don't trust him at all. And I was like, you know, I thinking I'm a good husband at this point. I said, Oh honey, don't worry about it. I have it under control. Everything's going to be fine. And what I should have said was, tell me more. What tell do you me why. See? Why do you feel that way? Right. So that was one thing. But then four or five days later, I'm out to lunch with my outside legal counsel. And he and I had been friends for years. And we're leaving lunch. And in the parking lot, he's a big guy. He puts his arm around me and he goes, hey, I, I don't know how to tell you this. But you need to pay attention to what's going on around you because I don't like what your partner's doing right now. And I'm like... 
Bob, don't worry about this. I have this under control. And, and again, Darren, I didn't have anything under control, but two warning signs back to back within a week. And I ignored both of them. So don't ignore the warning signs is the, is the fifth thing that I try people, you know, to tell people, listen to people around you. If you're married, your spouse, whether it's your, your wife or your husband, they are smarter. They're seeing things that you're not seeing. And I never talked to my wife about business. So for her to say, I don't trust him, we've been friends. My partner and I were friends for 25 years. So, you know, those are the big things. It, it's so weird. Said, like you know, to, to your point, it's like she's, she wasn't in the business. It's, it makes me think of like animals. Like you ever see a dog that all of a sudden the dog just like doesn't like somebody. Like they just have a sixth sense. And, and so, you know, paying attention to other people that just they're getting a certain feeling from somebody. That's, that's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So I know people that will, for that reason, you know, before they go into business, they'll say, Hey, I'm bringing, let's go to dinner with the wives. And they just, you know, want to get their pers perspective on a human level, not necessarily all the numbers and, and whether it makes financial sense and whether there's complementary skills and all that, but just, you know, get the se sense from a, from a human perspective. I think that's smart. Yeah. So, and then you asked about coaching. Yeah. So, um, so my coaching, I, I teach all the fundamentals, right? Everything from, you know, I, I, I believe that there's three key fundamentals in the multifamily business. Now there's a dozen of them, but I think there's three key ones. There's building relationships. So that's one of the things I focus on continually with my coaching clients. The other is underwriting. And, and when I talk about relationships, it's with brokers, lenders, contractors, um, everybody to, to raise private capital. The second thing is underwriting, understanding the markets, knowing the financials. And then three is the raising of private capital. I think those are the three most important functions that you and I do as a syndicator. So what about, I, and I agree with that. Most, most coaching focus. So all three of these areas focus up to closing the deal. Right. Yeah. But what about operations? Because that's, that's so, what everybody talks about today is that for the next, you know, the deals now, operations are so key. Yeah. So, um, I, so not only those three things, but everything from finding deals, building a buying strategy, how to be conservative, exit planning, right? Just like my book, I wrote that book because I think too many people teach you and train on how to find a deal how to get a deal and a little bit about operations, but they don't teach you how to get out or when to get out or how to maximize your profit. And that's why I wrote the book exit plan. Um, but you're a hundred percent correct on operations right now. Like I mentioned a minute ago about the KPIs, you know, if you're asset managing a deal, you need to make sure that you are looking at those uh, uh, key performance indicators. Cause if you're, on-site staff or your property managers not doing what they need to be doing, you need to know why and you need to fix it, right? Especially in today's environment. Now, 
there are some things in today's environment that if you're in a deal are probably not fixable, like a floating rate cap that might've went to, you know, 10 or 11% interest because you didn't buy a cap on it. Um, or a bridge loan that's coming due in the next six to 12 months and you, you can't put new debt on it because uh, to take the bridge out because the numbers don't work. So, you know, there are things that are not fixable right now that I think we're going to see some deals come to the market that are, are going to be very, you know, deals to buy uh, for that very reason. So, so yeah, I teach people that operation piece, that coaching piece, right? So how would you say your time is split between coaching people and you doing your own deals? And, and do you do deals with your students? So I have a group coaching program that we meet once a week um, for an hour. I, I go through a fundamental and then we have a Q&A. Um, people can you know, opt in, opt out, out of that program. I have a lifetime offer on that program, which includes a complete, you know, uh, syndication in a box, a complete blueprint, all 20 hours of video on how to do every component of the business. Um, but I also work with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So I only work with a select few people Matter of fact, I was just on the phone with somebody and I said, you know, I, I don't really think that you're somebody who wants this business enough that it's worth, you know, doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with you. So I only work with seven people at a time um, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, teaching them how to do the business. Because my expectations, Darren, are that if you're coming into business and you want this as bad as I do, that I'm gonna help you get it, and then we're gonna wind up partnering on a deal together. So I wanna help you get that deal done. So I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna hold you accountable, and then I'm gonna execute with you. And you're gonna tap into my database and my relationships and the people that I know, and we'll get that deal done. So- That makes sense. You, you know, I think- And, you know, I, I would say, I don't know about in today's market, but it, before, I don't think you could win a multifamily deal if you didn't have somebody that had experience, you know, somebody. Right. Um, may, maybe today you can because there's a big gap between buyers and sellers. There's not as many, as many buyers out there putting in offers, but. Um, well, you still can't get the bank debt unless you got experience. Right. So you still need, you know, you still need a, a key principal or somebody who's got, balance sheet and you know the experience to sign on debt right absolutely so where do you find in investors today uh, do you have investors that carry forward from the from the olden days or are they all new and how does that how does that work in your world okay great question so I've, everything that i have today i've rebuilt um like i said i came home to nothing i didn't even have a computer um, so a friend of mine bought me a computer where, where and they got me set in Chicago. Chicago. How about you? I'm in Dallas. Okay. Um, so I, you know, uh, um, I have rebuilt everything basically from scratch. Like I was a newbie. Um, and at least the last time I had been in the real estate business. So I had all these past clients and connections that I could go back to. You know, this has been brand new. So 
I have, I've spent a lot of time on LinkedIn, doing outreach on LinkedIn, meeting people on LinkedIn. Hey, during, during the pandemic, I think I did 3000 Zoom calls. Did you really? Yeah. So, you know, I built a, a LinkedIn database from zero to 12,000 in the last two years. Wow. Um, I, and, and, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a guy to go out there and just click on anybody. You know, they're, they're a strategic connection. Um, social media, I'm really loud on social media, anywhere you hang out, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you know, I'm there. Um, we have a presence um, and, and, and I'm just building a community. I built, a, you know, my database up to about 7,000. And um, we do, you know, I have some, I have some giveaways, a couple of eBooks that people can get it either about passive investing or about multifamily syndications. And I do generic webinars, um, just talking about, you know, multifamily and that. And, um, you know, I build my connections through, through those means. Well, look, I think that that is some, one, something that you can teach your coaching students. Um, but it's also listeners, look, that's, that's how you build your network is, is that you get out there and tell people what you do, right? You have to get out there and tell people what you do. And when you, when you first get into it, some people think to themselves, well, I'm going to wait till I get my first deal or I'm going to wait until I have my first deal that goes full cycle or I whatever. Like, look, there's certain people that want to want to invest with somebody that's done 10 deals. There's other people that want to invest with somebody that's doing their first deal because they want to learn from them, you know? And you have a circle of influence that Mike doesn't have and I don't have, you know? So you have to get uncomfortable and start telling people what you want to, what you want to do. And there's other people that have less knowledge than you. You may not have all the knowledge, but they're further away than you are. And so they're looking to learn from you. Darren, I've been doing this 30 years and I keep learning. Yes. Well, you know, I go to these events today. I, I was just at an event in Vegas and uh, I, I walked away with like 10 pages of notes of, of key points, right? I'll write it. I used to go to seminars and write everything down and I don't do that anymore, but I write the key, key points yep. down and the things, wow, I should try this or do this or, oh, I can tweak this. You, and, and you never know what you're going to hear or what you're going to experience that's going to help you to um, move the needle on your business. Absolutely. I mean, look, when you got out, like, did you know how to use LinkedIn? Did you know how no. to use Zoom? Did you know how to write a book? You know, like you have to figure out all those things, right? But you have to have the grit and determination to figure it out. There's a story, right? I went, when I went to prison, we were on iPhone two. Nice. When I came home, we were on 13. <laughs> that just shows you the lapse of time, right? And uh, I, I came home, I, I remember being frustrated one day and my 13 year old daughter said to me, and I was frustrated, I couldn't do something on the computer. She said, dad, take it easy. You knew it all before, you'll figure it out again, just give it time. That's a wisdom of a 13-year-old. figure you know? it out. But you know what? There's a lot of things that, you know, people aren't willing to do. And so, um, you know, you, you were willing to do all those things to, look, how do, how do you do a webinar, right? Like you've had to figure it out, you know? So you either ask somebody or you, 
you do something, you know. So now, where do you go from here, my man? What's the next big stretch goal? Honestly, yeah. Darren, uh, I'm going to be the Michael Milken of multifamily. All right, my man. Um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, and, and here's why. Um, because along the way, I'm going to help a lot of people. I'm going to help a lot of investors make a bunch of money in the next few years. I'm going to help a bunch of people who want to do this business, learn how to do the business, and we're going to do the business together. And this is a team sport. You know, when I built my last portfolio of 4,000 units, it wasn't a team sport, but it was. I had a company and I had people working for me doing these job functions, but today I have partners in deals that do some, some things that I do others. And I always tell people, I said, let's figure out what you're really good at, what your strengths are, and then let's go find somebody else who can do everything else. Right. And, and this way you can focus on what you do. That, that's great. So you mentioned that you had some giveaways. Can you share some stuff with the listeners? Sure. Um, you know what? I'd love people uh, uh, to go download a free copy of Exit okay. Plan. So that's one of your um, books. I get, right. They can go download a copy of Exit Plan. My, go to my website at mycoreintentions, mycoreintentions.com forward slash free, and they can get a copy of Exit Plan there. Well, you know, if somebody wants to go and um, get a, a, a just an ebook on either passive investing or multifamily syndication, uh, they can um, go to my Facebook page at face uh, at Multifamily Unplugged on Facebook, and there's links there to go and download those books. And, you know, the other thing that you asked that was really interesting was, um, you know, who's teaching about operations today? Well, I have a, I have a uh, property management operational checklist that if people want that, they can message me directly and I'll send them a copy of it. It's 55 points, but I'll also send them my 25 KPIs. Uh, my list of 25 KPIs that where, we watch Where are they on supposed to deal. message you directly on what, on what platform? Yeah, they could send me an email. Yeah. Right to Mike at MyCoreIntentions.com. Mike at MyCoreIntentions.com. Mike, I really appreciate you coming on. I, look, I believe what you said before we even started this thing, you know, is, is that, you know, you, you want to be able to share and let people know that they can't let their past, you know, define their future. And people are on all different scales with regards to that. But, you know, at the easiest core stance, I would say that there's a lot of people that they got into a job after they got into college and then every year they get their raise and then they started a family and then they bought a house and they have two cars and they, they are living in jail because they bought too much stuff and they feel like they can't do what they really want to do. Well, that, you know, if Mike can, can go to prison and come out and change his life around, you can figure out a way to divest of the, all those payments and take a chance in life, you know? 
go after what you dream about, you know, um, because that's that's key, man. You only get one time around this this place, and and you don't want to be living in in jail just because you bought too much stuff. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. So, Mike, appreciate you coming on, listeners. I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>